Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The something in the way. Addition. Mm-hmm. As the Bengals look to beat the team that's given them the most trouble of any in recent years, the Cleveland Browns. Coming up, I'll talk to linebacker Logan Wilson about the Bengals' 2020 draft class, led by Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and himself. Not a bad draft, right? Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football joins me to explain why the Bengals are a team that nobody wants to face in January. We'll hear from Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan. And finally, in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll spend a few minutes with the voice of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Donovan. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Miracle Holiday Pop-Up Bar. If you're 21 and older and looking for a fun night out, I highly recommend the Miracle Holiday Pop-Up Bar at the Overlook Lodge in Pleasant Ridge. You can get tickets online. It's a one-hour experience with movie clips, music, themed cocktails, and a few surprises along the way. For more information and to get tickets, go to ThatShiningBar.com Once again, it's ThatShiningBar.com Now, let's get to Sunday's game. According to the folks at Pro Football Focus, there are 89 linebackers who have played at least 20% of their team's defensive snaps this year. Jermaine Pratt is graded as the 10th best linebacker in the league, and Logan Wilson is 26th despite dealing with a shoulder injury. I caught up with Wilson this week. Logan, you are having another great season despite injuring your shoulder back in week six in New Orleans. How does this compare to what you dealt with in the postseason last year? Yeah, it's not nearly as significant. Um, I don't even know. I kind of just kind of retore the posterior capsule, which um, everything that I did in surgery is still um, there, still doing what it's supposed to do. Anchors are good. Um, it's just kind of an uh, incident that happened and um, you know, I think I'll just play with the harness to protect it, but it's not—it's nothing like last year. Like my shoulder is still healthy; I still have full range of motion. Like last year, I didn't really have full range of motion, and there was a little bit more issues being dealt with after that one. There were some nervous looks after oh, that yeah. game in New Orleans. Were you fearful that this might be a big problem? Yeah, I think more than anything, that's—it scared me. Uh, you know, just to to re-injure something that you just you know rehabbed all the way back, got fixed in the off season, and. Um, for it to happen like that, it was just more nerve-wracking than anything. And, um, you know, luckily I just needed a week to let it simmer down. I'm good now. We're chatting with Logan Wilson. So hearing you talk about the postseason last year, you played great. You had the most tackles in the playoffs of anybody in the last 10 years in the NFL. You obviously had the huge interception in the Tennessee game. But what was normal life like? Could you lift your arm? Could you sleep? Were things like that difficult? Yeah, it was. It wasn't like my life was pretty normal. Um, it was just some things like overhead type stuff that would, you know, get my arm was like more like instead of being able to come up next to my ear it was coming out about mm. forty five degrees, and I just couldn't physically get it up because of my labrum being torn. Um, it's just not being even when we do like rehab stuff, you know. 
um, the PTs would say that, that they could feel like the, you could feel your feel the humeral head kind of slip out, you know, when when you're doing some of those mobility stuff. And um, you know, it was it was a long road to recovery, and um, there was times during the this, the playoffs where you know you get it hit and it just mm. just shoot through your whole arm. I remember one play in the Super Bowl did that, and I just kind of shake it out. Luckily, it was a third down. I was able to go off to the sideline, let it calm back down, and we were good. But it was good to get it fixed. Very smart. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you this week was to ask you about your tag team partner, Jermaine Pratt, yeah. who's having a great year. Yeah. Pro Football Focus ranks him as the 10th best linebacker in the NFL so far this year. He made the, the key defensive play last week, ripping the ball away from Travis Kelsey. What stands out to you about a guy you've been playing with now for three years? I think, I mean, he's, he is a good leader, whether or not he sees himself as that or not. Um, he's, he's very, very smart schematically. Um, he knows what we're going to get from the, from the offense. He knows what we're doing on defense and what our weaknesses are. And um, I think he's really just improved as an overall, you know, his overall linebacker play, you know, um, piggybacking on some things that he learned from Coach Golden last year and now, now Coach Besh this year, um, you know, some block protection things, just being physical. Um, but then always having the mindset, like always reiterating, like we got to get the ball in some form or fashion. And, um, you know, for him to, you know, be mic'd up and be talking about getting the ball and then gets the ball that that drive was, was huge and just kind of a no surprise, you know, it's a credit to the guy he is. He works really hard to be where he's at and, um, you know, very happy to be playing alongside him. Is it borderline comical how often he says that at practice and, you know, in meeting rooms and so it, forth? I mean, it is, but it's also good. It's a repetitive thing that you're always hearing. You're like, okay, well, I made the tackle. It's like, who cares? You, don't, you know, you don't want to make the tackle. You want to make, you want to get the ball back mm-hmm. to our offense because, um, you know, our, our offense is operating on all cylinders right now. And so the more times we can get the ball back to them to go score points, you know, the better off we're going to be. It sounds like both of you guys are football junkies. Is that accurate? Yeah, you could say that. I think we both have different ways that we um, learn things, and um, I think we both teach each other some things and help each other on the field with you know certain things. I think that's what you're supposed to do as a teammate, and um, you know we, we feed off each other's energy. So anytime one of us makes a good play, we you know we hype each other up. But um, you know I think we, that's, we just have a really good linebacker room in general, honestly. We're chatting with Logan Wilson. So you've accomplished a lot personally and team-wise in your three years in Cincinnati. But one thing you haven't done yet is beat Cleveland. Does it stick under your craw going into the game this week? Uh, I mean, it's always creeped into my head. You know, it's the one team since um, since our draft, you know, our draft class: Joe, T, me, um, Akeem, Hakeem, Marcus. And we you know we, we have never beat Cleveland. That's the one team in our division we've never beaten. Um, you know, we always say the next game is the biggest game. So right now, this is the biggest game um, of our season, and we need to get these these in, these divisional wins. You just ran down the guys from your draft class who are still here, and I know it's early, but it's shaping up to be one of the great draft classes in Bengals history. When you came into the building and you met Joe and you met T and you met the other guys that you just mentioned, did you know right off the bat, man, I'm part of something special? Um, you know, I, 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 I figured it, I would be. You know, I think that anytime you have the number one overall pick, um, it's about helping set him up for success, and you know this organization has done a very good job of that. You know, getting the guys around him to protect him, and then getting weapons outside of him, um, and then like for T to be developing into the receiver he's become. Um, it's just a credit to the the guys they draft. You know, I know I think there was a stat. I think six of our seven picks that year were all captains. I think in college, 
And um, T would have been had he stayed for another right. year at Clemson. Yeah, so I, I didn't know he was the only one that wasn't a captain. Mm-hmm. But um, that's just a credit to the guys that they're looking for, the type of character. And, um, I mean, you can see it in our locker room from when I got here till now. Like, it's, I mean, it's just it really is night and day, the guys that we have in the locker room. Um, that's how you, that's, it really is how you win games, and it's been a good formula for us. Getting back to Sunday's game against the Browns, Nick Chubb has had a lot of success against the Bengals, five 100-yard games and eight tries against mm-hmm. Cincinnati. Sam Hubbard says he's the best in the NFL. Do you agree, and if so, why? I think he's just so hard to, to bring down, and he's, um, I mean, he's, he's, good out of the, he's good out of the backfield because he's, he, you've got to have more than just one guy trying to tackle him and bring him down. He's very um, lower heavy, so he breaks a lot of tackles. Um, and you're not going to arm tackle him, where some guys you might be able to kind of trip him up. He's got very good balance. Um, you know, I think he's just a very good all-around back, and there's a reason why he's been at the top of the rushing yards list for really probably since he's been in the league. So one thing that's gone viral in recent weeks has been Coach Duffner yelling in his high-pitched voice, Yeah, everyone, they're going to play us! <laughs> what do you think of that, and what do you think of Coach Duff? I think he's he's the man. He's he's awesome. I, my wife even asked me. She's like, "Is that his, is that his voices?" Normally, I was like, "No, he's, that's his like thing." Is he just gets the hype up, and um, that's why Coach asked him to say that. And he he's he's a character. I think everyone on this coaching staff and um, the players love him. He's a great guy to have around. He's very knowledgeable, um, and he's been around this game for a very long time. So he's a good guy to know. Final question for Logan Wilson. I appreciate your time. We are four weeks away from Bengals Bills and your opportunity to compete against your friend and former college teammate at Wyoming, Josh Allen. How frequently are you guys in touch, whether it's calls or texts, and is this a game you've had in the back of your mind all year? Um, we don't really stay in touch that much. Um, I mean, he's he's pretty busy, and he's, he's a very focused type kind of guy, so I know he's trying to take care of what they need to do over there in Buffalo, and um, you know, it'll, it'll be a great opportunity, you know, to be able to go against him when that time comes. But um, I'm a big live in the present guy, so in the meantime, I'm going to be worried about the Browns. The class of 2020 has helped change this franchise. You're a big reason why. Congratulations on your success. Thanks for the time today. Thanks, Dan. There were six linebackers taken before Logan Wilson in the 2020 draft. Isaiah Simmons, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks, and Patrick Queen went in the first round, and Josh Uche and Willie Gay went in the second round before the Bengals took Wilson with the first pick of the third. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't trade Logan for any of them. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Learn more at Paycor.com. There's nothing worse in sports television than fake laughter. You know what I mean. There are three or four people on the set, one of them says something that isn't close to being funny, and the rest of the cast laughs like hyenas. That's not the case on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. The hosts are legitimately funny, and the laughs are real. Plus, they know their stuff and have great chemistry as a group. I caught up with one of the stars of the show this week. For my money, Good Morning Football is the best sports show on TV, and my wife, Peg, agrees. And we are joined by one of the hosts this week, Peter Schrager. Peter, you have been binging on Bengals content of late. Earlier this week, you said, after the win over the Chiefs, I wouldn't want to face the Bengals in January. What was it about that win that maybe took the Bengals to another level? 
It wasn't just this win. I think they're on quite a run right now. And, and Dan, I, I look back at the Tennessee win, going into that hostile environment, doing that without Jamar and doing it without Joe Mixon, and then quickly turning around and then beating the Chiefs for the third straight time. I mean it. I think this team has got uh, you know ice in their veins. And I know that sounds like it's a cliche, but does Joe Burrow ever, ever waver? Is this guy just so on I I said on our show, I'm like, he's like a robot watching him. There is, there's emotion, but there's never this up and down that you get to see. You never see him yelling at teammates. You never see him, you know, spiking a ball and celebrating in a way that might rub someone wrong. This guy is just so dialed in. And I feel like this team is so young and yet it's been there for the most part. All these guys were on this ride last year and it's nothing's too big for them. So I would not want to face them in January, whether it be in Cincinnati or it be on the road, that is a team with that quarterback on the other sideline. I would not want to see, and I would not want to have to game plan for. I heard you call Joe a robot and I knew what you meant. It was a good way. Robocop, the Terminator, something along those lines. Is Joe what you thought he would be as the number one pick coming out of LSU or even better at this point? Oh, he succeeded expectations. And I remember talking to, I guess it was, um, it was Zach probably around the combine before it was even out there that they were taking him. And the, the story at the time was Joe Burrow might hold out and doesn't want to be a Bengal and that, that he might want to just, you know, play his cards close to the chest and all this stuff. And then uh, Zach Taylor was at the combine kind of gave me the heads up and said, no, don't put us out there. Or but like of the quarterbacks, this is the guy, like, this is the guy he's unbelievable. And, um, it's, it's been every, that, everything and that and more. And what I like about Burrow is, you know, it's not just number one pick, great success, you know, you know, Peyton Manning, and we've seen all, you know, Terry Bradshaw, all these guys, whatever it is with Joe Burrow, it's, he had to overcome a massive setback with the knee injury and then had to overcome the appendicitis has to do it with a team that hadn't won a playoff game in how many years, like he has had to overcome real hurdles and yet never makes it about him, makes it about everybody else. And, is this incredible leader. We all saw the final season in college. We all saw the college football playoff, but I've seen a lot of great college quarterbacks. I was a, I was a huge Colt McCoy fan. I was a huge Tim Tebow fan. I've seen a lot of college quarterbacks win a lot of college games. Um, Joe Burrow is doing something that Colt McCoy, who I love, and Tim Tebow, who I love, have not done at the pro level, and that's take a franchise on his back and not only made them relevant, made them one of the best in the NFL. Tell me about your relationship with Zach Taylor because you're close to Sean McVay. You did a podcast with him. I know you attended his wedding uh, over the summer. Uh, what do you think of Zach Taylor? I love Zach Taylor. I've, I've known Zach Taylor since he was a Miami Dolphin. He was with the Dolphins back in the Joe Philbin era, and um, I, I built a relationship with, with him then. And then he went back to the college game, obviously, at Cincinnati, and you know, stayed on the radar. And I know Sean McVay really, really trusted Zach once he brought him on his staff and would give me a heads up and be like, I know I'm the young hot thing here, but I've got a bunch of guys in my staff that you should meet and speak with. And went out of my way. I did the Rams uh, preseason games that 2018 season, I think. And I went out of my way before those games to, to get on the field and talk to a Zach Taylor and and get to know him and talk to an Eric Yarber, who's the wide receivers coach and really get to know the assistant coaches on that Rams team, because I thought what they were building was really cool. And I thought Zach was always so smart. And so, um, you know, I guess humbles the word, but it's, he's not the loudest guy in the room. He's not going to necessarily be the one that says, Hey, look at me. He's not going to necessarily have a Campbell soup commercial like McVeigh's got that's running at all ads at all times. Zach Taylor's the guy wearing the triple XL sweatshirt and kind of hanging in the back and has the plain 
uh, you know, room when they're doing the draft uh, during COVID while Kingsbury's got the mansion and the uh, sunny locale behind him. Like that's Zach, family guy, lifer. Uh, obviously, his brother's a, a coach. Obviously, he's got a great playing career at Nebraska, but a world of knowledge and a wealth a wealth of respect around the league. And I, I know Bengals fans sometimes come out and they question play calls. And I remember last year, even when they were hot, it was, what's Zach Taylor doing? Um, ask the players. Don't judge from the outside. Ask the players. Ask the staff. He treats people right. And I think everyone respects him in the building. You host a podcast, The Season with Peter Schrager, and this week you had current offensive coordinator Brian Callahan on with you. What were some of your biggest takeaways from visiting with Brian? Well, Brian's got a lot of the same characteristics that Zach has, and it's not a lot of look at me, and there's not a lot of puff your chest, and his voice is pretty level. He's going to tell you like it is. But what I love about Brian's story is the amount of quarterbacks that he's coached. And I wanted to go through that because he came in and it was Tebow. And then it was Peyton Manning. Couldn't go from one you know, inexperienced NFL quarterback to a, to a guy who's got all the answers and Peyton. And then Stafford and then Derek Carr. And then, of course, now uh, you know Joe Burrow. And I, I wanted to know all about what he's learned from each one of those quarterbacks. I thought it was interesting. But what I really liked hearing about was his lifestyle and his choice to go into this because his father, of course, is Brown's offensive line coach, Bill Callahan. And, you know, you grow up in a coaching family, it can go one of two ways. One, you can resent the profession. You could say, Hey, my dad wasn't around that often. We had to move 20 different places, all that stuff. Or you could look at your father as a hero and say, Hey, that's something I want to do. And Brian followed in his father's footsteps. What I really like about him is he's gone out of his way to never work with or on his father's staff. And, I think that says a lot about him. He's like, I love football. I love coaching, but I never want to, to, to go that route. I want to do it on my own. And sure, his father's opened millions of doors, but Brian's kind of charted his own path. And I think that's pretty cool. He's 38 years old. He's really bright. He's really well-respected around the league. And I, I think his demeanor is the right demeanor. It's one that's, you've got big personalities in that Cincinnati locker room. You guys be you, do your thing. Um, I'll be here. I'll coach you and I'll do everything I can to support you. Both he and Zach. For the Bengals fans listening, both he and Zach, their main mission is to serve the players, to make the players the best players they can be. And Brian said it in the in the podcast he did with me. My goal is to get these guys paid as much money as they possibly can and have the most fulfilled lives that they can. And if we win some football games along the way, that's great. Uh, but I'm about the players and the team. It's not about me. And I love that. Brian and defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo are both being mentioned as future NFL head coaches. Do you see that happening for either or both soon? Well, they both interviewed last year, right? So Brian had an interview with Denver and that job went to Nathaniel Hackett. Then Lou Anarumo, who was with the Giants at one point and is from Staten Island. There was a lot of local New York City buzz for Lou. They all wanted to see him maybe get uh, considered there. He interviewed for the Giants job and that went to Brian Dable. Um, one of those decisions, Denver one is being questioned right now. The other one, the Giants one, everyone seems to be in full support of in the local market. Uh, but I think both of those guys are going to be very high up on the list. I, I, do, I do a lot of the stuff with the coaching hirings come around week 17, 18, everything. And the name I'm hearing a lot about is D'Amico Ryans, rightfully so, in San Francisco. But on the offensive side of the ball, everyone's looking for that next young offensive mind. And Ben Johnson, who's in Detroit, is getting a lot of buzz, 36 years old. And 
Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator of the Bengals is being mentioned there too. But gosh, if, if Lou doesn't get a, a slew of interviews and really get considered something's up with the system because the second half adjustments that Lou Anarumo uh, pulls off every single week, it's in the numbers. You see that the Bengals are the best second half team across the board and just about every category uh, and their defense comes to play in the biggest of moments as we saw in the Super Bowl run last year. We are visiting with Peter Schrager. Last week, Elizabeth Blackburn wrote a letter to Bengals fans, and you brought it up on Good Morning Football. In your words, it fired you up. Why? You know, you do that kind of thing, and it can go one of two ways. The fans can read this and say, don't you tell me what to do. Don't you tell me anything. You go and you buy me a new free agent. You go and you lower prices on tickets. Why are you worried about me? I'll show up. I'm a fan. I pay my ticket. Don't you? Or it can be like, wow. Everyone in that building is really all in and it starts from the top down and it starts from Mr. Brown and it goes all the way through, uh, you know, obviously to Katie and Elizabeth Blackburn. And then you feel it through the building and it's the coaches and then the players. And then I'm part of the team. If I'm a player, uh, if I'm a fan and I'm being asked to play my part. And I think it was the perfect letter. It wasn't saying anything negative about the chiefs. It was saying we need you over this final stretch, because I think Elizabeth knows what a great fan base, the Bengals fan it's are. And also what a great home field advantage that is when that place is rocking. It's really hard to play in cold weather, especially under the lights uh, late on a Sunday. And especially when the crowd is absolutely rocking in that environment, I was not there for shame. I wasn't there. I was in LA for the studio show for Fox, but anyone that I know who was in that building was like, that place was lit. It was electric. And I think it's going to be the same way this Sunday. And I think it'll be the same way uh, the remainder of the home games. And hopefully you guys get a playoff home game. If you can finish the job and win this division. Peter, you've been hosting good morning football since 2016. You've obviously followed the NFL and been a fan much longer than that. Have your feelings or viewpoint about the Bengals changed over the years? It has. It has. Um, you know, when I got there, it was in a it was in a, a Marvin Lewis era, which had been very successful and then kind of trailed off at the end. And then it was the first couple of years of Zach. And then last year uh, comes back and it's like this full swing thing. But I, you know, it's funny, the Bengals franchise, I feel like has changed a bit. And that might be the influence of, of Elizabeth Blackburn. It might be the fact that they're winning games. It might be the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins effect, whatever it is, I feel like there's an exuberance. There is a, uh, a fresh feel, you know, I'm not a branding expert, but that logo, it means something right now in the NFL. It means, Ooh, those boys are fun. Those boys, those boys are good. That organization is fun. Like the Bengals are on TV on a Thursday night. It used to be like, Oh wow. The NFL buried the Bengals on a Thursday night game and they're playing the Browns and it's let's get it done early in the season and never see this team again. Now it's, Hey, why aren't the Bengals being flexed to Sunday night? You know, why aren't we getting more Bengals? Why, why can't Chris Collinsworth, the local guy, do more Bengals games? Uh, I think they're, they're worthy of that. And again, credit goes to a lot of different places. Sometimes you can't put your finger on it, but you know, I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, give the ownership group any more credit than it deserves, but this Bengals team, especially with the new indoor facility and all the things like it does feel fresh, new, and it feels like the fans are really engaged. And I think that's really cool. Well, you are absolutely right. The jungle is going to be rocking Sunday at one o'clock for the 99th Battle of Ohio. Bengals and Browns, the Bengals trying to end this streak of five straight losses to Cleveland. What are some of your keys for Sunday's game? Okay, so here are the keys to this game. You got to beat the Browns. This thing can't keep going on. Uh, this, As much as, as for a week we said does... Does, does Burrow have, you know, Mahomes' number? What is up with the Browns thing? You guys 
have to get up early and do what you do and you have to establish that. I, I think the Monday night loss on Halloween, there was a lot of things going on in the building. As we know that there was a, a great tragedy that happened earlier in the day that the team found out about, the coaches found out about, and you know, Adam Zimmer's passing. I'm not, I'm not saying that's why that game went that way, but this is a new game. This is a different thing. And all the positive momentum is going in for the Bengals. So to me, the biggest key to the game is get out early and don't let that guy Chubb run all over the defense yet again, because that guy Chubb is no joke. And if they get up early, they can win that way. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb all day long and just shove it down your throat. That's how they play football. But I'm not sure with a quarterback who's playing in his second game with the organization and with a team that's kind of, you know, fizzling out after last after uh, you know, the last few months, not necessarily being in the playoff hunt. You don't want the Browns to get up early and then have to play comeback football on them. Peter, I said it and I meant it. My wife and I love good morning football. Thank you so much for your time and keep up the great work. Who day? The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. With more than 120 care facilities and 1,500 care providers, Kettering Health is committed to guiding you to your best health. Visit KetteringHealth.org to learn more. Going back to that first Cleveland game on Halloween night, the Bengals fell behind 25-0 and abandoned the running game. They finished with 10 carries for 36 yards. In their four-game winning streak since, the Bengals have averaged 31 carries for 141 yards. Joe Mixon got it started against Carolina with 211 combined rushing and receiving yards and a team record five touchdowns. Then, after Joe suffered a concussion against Pittsburgh, Samaje Pirine took over, and he's been spectacular. Samaje had three touchdown catches against the Steelers, 93 yards of total offense against the Titans, and 155 rushing and receiving yards last week against Kansas City. And it hasn't just been the numbers. Samaje has been burying defenders with stiff arms and constantly getting extra yards with his brute strength. Here's Pirine on his punishing running style. That's just how I like to run the ball. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, you're not going to get too much flashy stuff from me. It's just uh, if I can't run around you, I'll run through you. And uh, it is what it is. I mean, you can you stand up to it if you want to, but it's going to wear on you. Samaje's production has come as no surprise to Joe Mixon. They were in the same recruiting class at Oklahoma, shared the workload for a couple of seasons, and then were members of the same draft class. After Pirine started his NFL career in Washington, they've been back together for four seasons in Cincinnati. It's nothing new to me, to be honest. Like It's new to everybody else, but i always known he's capable before. I mean, my guy, he stepped in and did what he's supposed to do. He's been solid every game, and... Um, he definitely picked up where I left off, and um, I'm, I'm glad seeing him do his thing. I didn't been his teammate for eight years now. Ain't nothing changed from, you know, the day he stepped foot in at OU with both of us. You know what I'm saying? So we came in together and we left together. So and we had the same spot together, which is ironic. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great thing to see. And um, like I said, man, it's it's been a great thing. Mixon cleared concussion protocol this week and should be back in action. So Zach Taylor. Who's your starter? Joe Mixon's our, our starting running back, and he's done a great – his last game he played, he had five touchdowns. Tremendous effort. Um, and Samaje's done a really good job filling in. And so to have those two guys that you've got a lot of confidence in, whatever the moment calls for, 
we think that's very valuable to have, especially going into this this late season stretch and hopefully beyond that. Joe Mixon was a pro bowler last year and was chosen by his peers as one of the top 100 players in the NFL. But Pirine has certainly played well enough to get a bigger slice of the pie going forward. My broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, has this suggestion. Why not put both of them on the field at the same time? Samaje Pirine blocks his tail off. He blocked for Joe Mixon. I mean, why not have both running backs in the field? Why does it have to be one or the other? Put both. I mean, you have two backs like that. Why not uh, figure out offensively? I mean, you can run 20 personnel. You know, two backs, no tight ends, three wide receivers. You still have your three wide receiver studs. You can run 21 personnel. Two backs, one tight end, you know, and, and receivers. Not, I'm not saying every snap. I'm saying mix it in. That, then it's not like, okay, well, Man, Samaje's taking snaps from Joe. Joe's taking snaps from, from Samaje. Put them both out there. Make the Cleveland Browns have to worry about defending the two backs. Put them in split backs in the backfield, and it's like, wow, you know, what, what the hell? Why not, why not add that to the repertoire? You got two guys that are – both guys can run it. Both guys can catch it. Samaje Pirine may be one of the best, if not the best, blitz pickup guy in the NFL. You can have him in there. Uh, as, a, as a pass protector with blitzes or run, put him up at the line of scrimmage and let him chip with a tackle like a tight end does. I mean, there's a million things you can do. It'll give, it'll give matchup problems to the defense, having both those guys in the field at the same time. What the hell? Why not? I'm not, again, I'm not saying the entire game. I'm not saying, you know, 50% of the snaps. I'm saying have it in the arsenal. You can roll it out there, change it up. A reward Samaje a little bit. And I think those two buddies, and they are best buds, those two Oklahoma Stooners, would thrive on the field at the same time. It's an interesting idea. We'll see if the Bengals try it. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. Now, time for this week's Know the Foe segment. The voice of the Browns, Jim Donovan, joined Lapp and me for a few minutes on the Bengals game plan show this week, and I asked him the following question. With five straight wins over the Bengals and eight in the last nine meetings, do the Browns think they're in the Bengals' heads? You know, I don't, guys. First of all, it's great to be with you, and it would be great to see you on Sunday good to be in a game like that I don't think so I think that they just go into this game realizing uh, that they have to play very very well and they have played very well in these games I mean some of their best performances the win last year in Cincinnati the win on Halloween night here have been against the Bengals I mean they really have unfortunately they play so well against them (laughs) that the games after that they uh, they can't stack wins after that but I don't think that they believe that they're in their heads I just think that they they realize that they have to go out and come up with their a game and for them they have a couple of times what's going on with Watson I mean is one one game in 700 days it's hard for anybody to be close to peak form missing all that time uh he looked his one of his big fortes he's got a tremendous skill set uh, athletically, physically, you know, mentally, and he's accurate right. throwing the football. But he wasn't very accurate in that in that game against the Texans. Um, 
and it was a two-to-one run-to-pass ratio, the way he can contribute with a quarterback run package, do you anticipate them to feature that running game with Chubb, Watson, you know, the offensive line, Hunt, all of that? I do, Dave, but I have to tell you that, you know, he's going to have to make plays throwing the football because then they become so one-dimensional uh, that it really was a good thing they were playing a team that was 1-9-1 and one going into the game last week in the Texans. He really struggled, and I yeah. think it was – I think it took people, uh, and I even think people within the Browns, I think it took them by surprise realizing, like you said, it's been 700 days since he played – but, I mean, my gosh, he had no, uh, you know, mechanics. Uh, yeah. The balls, you know, he was bouncing balls in front of receivers. He looked very uncomfortable in the, uh, in the pocket, and he looked very indecisive as to whether or not he wanted to run or throw. Uh, so it's going to take a big week of kind of settling down to go into, you know, the game against the Bengals this Sunday and really, you know, put to, you know, it won't be hard to play better than he did last Sunday. That's how, that's how rough it was. But he's going to have to play better, and he's going to have to really hit some passes to really make their offense click. I mean, their running game is great, but they do need, you know, they do need throws to open that up for them, or they just become so one-dimensional like they did in the, in the second half last week. Right. Bronze Radio Voice Jim Donovan is our guest. I think a lot of us, Jim, are wondering if last week was going to be a zoo with Deshaun's first game back, yeah. especially coming in Houston. What was the atmosphere like? You know, Dan, I have to tell you, I expected it, too. I expected it from the time we rolled up in the buses to the hotel. I thought that there would be protests, you know, people kind of being there and, you know, voicing their displeasure with him. That didn't happen at all. When we got into the stadium, I mean, when he came out for his first series and when he came out to start the game, there was really loud booing. But as the afternoon played along, the football part of things took over. And I really think that, you know, the fans, though not great in number because there's, you know, they're not having a good season down there, um, I think they just kind of got involved in the game more than, you know, letting him have it and becoming a real problem for him. I mean, he was having his own problems as far as getting into the game. But I don't think it was because of excessive booing or anything like that or any kind of, you know, protesting. Um, it wasn't that visible and really audible-wise, it really wasn't that loud. That's, that's interesting. You know, you, you look at, uh, at, the, at the rematch here, Wyatt Teller didn't play in game one. The Bengals' right. two defensive tackles didn't play in game one, Reader and Tupal. That's going to be interesting to see that war inside between, you know, amongst those three guys. Another guy that didn't play is huge in my estimation, Denzel Ward. I mean, Ward, he's got two fumble recovery touchdowns this year. This, this team has four unconventional non-offensive touchdowns, a 76-yard punt return, a 16-yard pick six, two fumble recoveries by Denzel Ward. <laughs> Ward, Ward went, you know, coast to coast against the Bengals last year with a pick six. I mean, I, Denzel Ward, Jamar Chase, who doesn't really speak about opponents so glowingly, knows Denzel Ward, obviously, and says he's the best cover corner in football. Do you agree? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I have to tell you, uh, Dave, when, the only thing that has held him back has been – um, whether or not he's going to be able to play. Unfortunately, he runs into injuries each year uh, since he's been picked by the Browns to come out of Ohio State. He has lost time, sometimes like three or four games, 
and that's a big loss for them in the secondary. When he's playing, though, there is no doubt about it. It is a very, very good secondary, and he is a terrific player that can come up with big plays, a la the 99-yard pick last year down in Cincinnati that really kind of so early in that game really kind of turned that game. He has the ability to do that. He really does. Uh, So when he's on the field, I'm right there with you, and Jamar Chase, I guess, is saying he is right up there as one of the best covered corners in the NFL. He is tough to really beat. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Kettering Health, the official health care provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals, they're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. By Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And by Altafiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Altafiber. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.